This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com. That's B-A-R-E boatalaska.com and tell Larry you heard about it on this podcast. Hunter McWaters, good to talk to you, man. Yeah, you too, dude. Um, I've been seeing you posting a lot of content and stuff and episodes coming out. I know we've been trying to link up for a while. It's just hard at these time zones. You know what I mean? Like it's 8.30 p.m. here and it's what? What is it? What is it out there? 4.30. We got four hour difference. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, tough, but there, hey, we made it work. <laughs> there have been a couple of times where I've done... 4:30 a.m. or 5 a.m. to make it uh, work for people on the East Coast, and so those are a little bit rugged. Where I just wake up, try to do some push-ups, oh, okay. run a okay. little bit, have some coffee. But man, like the brain is not totally going yet. I just feel like I stammer. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's fun to make no it worries, work, man. Yeah. No worries, dude. So yeah, it's all good, man. The kids just went to bed, so I'm just hanging out. I got a glass of tea to maybe keep me awake a little bit. But. Yeah. <laughs> What uh, what's your spring looking like? Cause you're in Virginia, East Coast. Yes, I mean, you guys are fully out of spring. You got cherry blossoms and everything going crazy over there. What uh, what's on the oh, outdoor schedule? They're well past. Are they? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like it's been a little cool recently, but um, like unseasonably cool for here. But yeah, the, all that the, all everything was blooming like probably three weeks ago. Okay. So yeah, I guess that makes but, sense. I went to uh, Washington D.C. for close up when I was in high school and uh, I remember the cherry blossoms and my brother went to school back there at uh, GW and my, my cousin did too. So I remember some of that okay. spring stuff and I spent a couple summers back there working and interning. So yeah, um, kind of familiar with the cold area up where you are. It was uh 51, 52 to get today. Pretty uh, sunny and nice day. So cool, was, man. It was good. That's good. Yeah. It's, it's nice down here. I mean, um, I like it. I grew up kind of, in this area, not exactly here, but about four hours south of here. So I actually grew up on the water, um, which I miss the water a lot. Like, I feel like a part of me is missing, but, um, as my wife would say, I replaced it with the mountains. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what were you doing on the water? Were you like fishing, just hanging out by it? What was the, yeah. Like I literally grew up, my house was surrounded on three sides by salt marsh. So I grew up with just the Red Rider BB gun, like literally just in the marsh. I used to hunt fiddler crabs, these little mm. crabs like this big with my Red Rider. And I was so good. I could hit them from like 30 yards, <laughs> like consistently. And I would trophy hunt for the the biggest clawed ones. <laughs> and I had like, I even had a whole string of claws. I would get the claw, drill a hole in it and put on a string. And I had a whole string of these huge fiddler crab claws. But um yeah, just stuff like that, man. And then my dad got me into waterfowl hunting and I was around boats and on boats and swimming. Just, I just kind of grew up in that environment. It was yeah. a beach town, you know, went to the ocean a lot, you know, fishing. So just all that stuff. Yeah. The perception I think is that anybody that's down South, especially back East grew up in just nonstop pavement and didn't have the oh, yeah. same memories of that. You have to get like West of Missouri or something like that to have a, a childhood yeah. that involved a red rider and this and that, but that's really not oh, no true. The, the Appalachian mountains and uh, Virginia is, is absolutely beautiful. You get out of the DC area, even the DC area, because the regulations that 
forbid buildings that are taller than I think was the the capital. I think it just makes it very unassuming. It's a big, powerful city, but it's you so many trees and so many white-tailed deer. It's it's actually a lot more wild than people give it credit for. It feels pretty suburban, and where I am, I'm like 40, 45 minutes from the actual city, so it's close enough that we can like take the kids in to do fun stuff, you know. But I'm kind of out of the madness of the city, and I'm literally like just an hour from um, national forest land and kind of mountains by Virginia standards, you know, like the Appalachian trail though goes through there and um, skyline drive is a really famous area. And there's, I'm right by all that stuff. So it's a, it's a pretty cool area, man. Mm-hmm. I don't have any complaints. I wish it was a little closer. I have to like jump on an airplane every time I wanted to like, you know, hunt a mule deer or an elk or something, but um, you know, it's just part of the territory. So I just take it in stride. <laughs> yeah. That's the proliferation of outdoor content has been great because it's connected us with so many different opportunities. But at the same time, you start to look around and think, man, I don't have this here. I don't have this here. I don't have this here. And it'd be mm-hmm. kind of cool if I did. But then if you save the money, you do your research, you find a way that you can go out and experience those things. It is, it is really cool to be able to do that. Oh yeah, for sure, man. What was some of your influences uh, reading-wise? Uh, were you looking at magazines growing up uh, for the outdoors? Were you watching films? What were you doing uh, growing yeah. up? Or even, <laughs> you know, I think you, you started uh, hunting not not too long ago. So what uh, what kind of got you in well, What was your first I, influence? That's not actually accurate. So I started Western hunting not long ago. I've been hunting since I was, like, six years old. Like, my dad took me dove hunting, and then I got my first shotgun when I was eight. And he would take me dove and duck hunting. And then I started bow hunting whitetails when I was about 14. I shot my first whitetail ever when I was 14 with a bow. Um, I shot two that year. The first one was a doe. Then there was a little a little uh, forky, as you guys would call it. <laughs> uh, we I would call that like a, you know, um, anyway, it doesn't matter. But um, so that's how I got started hunting. Uh, but then kind of found, I guess you would say, Western hunting. Actually, through Alaska. Alaska was kind of my gateway drug <laughs> to this kind of western um style hunting um so so while i'm not a new hunter it's still it's so different and so many different new skills involved in it that it's it's almost like it's almost like i am a new hunter again you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um so it's been really cool and really fun learning but as far as like media that you're asking about i definitely remember when i was about 14 when i really got really into bow hunting I got a copy of Deer and Deer Hunting magazine. I don't know if you've seen that, Mm-mm. but um, no. Okay, yeah. it's called Deer and Deer Hunting magazine, and uh, I love that thing. I tore that thing apart. And as far as videos, I was watching tons of uh, the Drury Brothers. Have you heard of them? Yeah, Mark Drury. Okay, uh, so Mark and Terry Drury they had a crew. They still do. They still do a lot of outdoor media. Um, but th- those are the guys I was watching because that's the kind of hunting I was doing. Um, and I would see some of the elk and caribou and cool stuff and like be like, whoa. But it seemed so far out of reach at that point. Um, I kind of just focused on whitetails as a younger guy. and then But recently I've kind of expanded my horizons, which has been awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, um, didn't really grow up watching any shows. I read uh, Field and Stream a lot. And so that was, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that was a good that. one too. Bill Heavey was, was one of my favorites. A lot of people prefer Patrick McManus, but I was always a big Bill Heavey fan, probably because I found him first. And so, um, okay. just, just a huge fan of him. And he was in the, in the back East DC, Virginia area and did a lot, had a, yeah. a lot of his misadventures back there. And the thing that I really liked about that was he was clearly competent, but 
he told a lot of stories that had, you know, instances in which he was, you know, like a buffoon, you know? And so it was was really impressed upon me, this, this opportunity that you have to just be totally real and and truthful in the telling of the stories. And if you try to be someone that you're not, it ends up just, I think people can smell it either in the writing or they can, they can watch the videos and see it. Yeah. I, I, I uh, realized that from literally, if you go back to my first podcast ever, I think I say something like I'm paraphrasing, like I'm not some kind of Steven Renella. I don't claim to be, I don't claim to be an expert. In fact, I do kind of make a fool. Like I just did a podcast the other day with someone I like was trying to mess with a elk diaphragm call. I don't know how to elk call yet. And so, but I'm not, you know, trying to act like some amazing elk hunter. I'm just kind of trying to be as real as I can and, and kind of, uh, just be like, hey, I'm not from out west. I didn't grow up in this environment, but I'm figuring it out and uh and kind of try to inspire other guys to uh take advantage of some of these awesome public land opportunities, uh, you know, out west and and kind of because for me, like Western hunting, it wasn't just like a new like hobby or something. Like it it really was like a huge catalyst of like positive change in my life. And I, that might sound dramatic, but it's true. Um, like it was this level of adventure I hadn't really experienced or found anywhere else that I kind of been seeking my whole life. And it helped me, gave me a goal and motivated me to lose a ton of weight mm. and get very health, you know, the healthiest I've probably ever been in my life because I had this carrot in front of my like face that was a, a trip to Alaska that I knew was going to be physically tough. And I wanted to, and that wasn't the only reason, but anyway, it, it, it played a large part in making me a better person all around, not just, like like you know a new hobby or something i just kind of want to do uh or just go out and kill animals you know what i mean it's more mm-hmm. than that so um so anyway that's why i'm so passionate about it and um yeah i love it it's cool yeah i think having something fun to do makes the other areas of your life very good too unless that one thing that you like to do replaces everything else and so you're like hunting uh have you read uh, into thin air with the mount everest uh disaster in 1996 that john krakauer wrote a book about I have not. I'm, I'm probably nowhere near on your level of well-readness. I never was it's, like very into reading, to be honest with you, it's, man. It's kind of a classic book, and there was a movie, Everest, that came out uh, 10 or so years ago. I think I'm familiar ago. with the story, but yeah. I, I definitely didn't read the book. So the guy, one of the guys that has an iconic survival story, Beck Weathers, he says that he goes climbing to chase away this dark cloud of depression because his life, even though he's a, he's a pathologist and he has a wife and he has kids – he didn't feel fulfilled. And so he needed to climb and that was his kind of escape from his life. Um, and it was after he was left for dead and ended up wandering back into camp that he realized how much he actually had. And I think sometimes those of us who like the outdoors, fishing, hunting, whatever, sometimes we use that as this is my life and this is all my life is. And the rest of my life kind of sucks. And so work is just something I have to get through but I think like you're talking about with that mindset, it can enhance other elements of it. So because I have this great hobby that I love, it brings yeah. joy and fulfillment that then impacts other areas of my life. I'm a better teacher because I have great weekends. I show up refreshed on Monday and so For I can sure. be ready to to get after it. And so, you know, the kids don't show up with some teacher who just resents and hates his life except for the one day a week he gets to go out and steelhead fish or yeah. something like that. So I think that's a really important thing to have. For sure, man. And I know some guys get it with playing golf or whatever, but I don't know. I think there's something next level about getting into, again, I don't want to sound cliche, probably does, but whatever. It's true. Like getting into 
a primal place like that is something more akin to what humankind was actually sort of designed to live like instead of kind of like the you know urban environments that we're kind of in um so just you reconnect with something that's uh just kind of on a deeper level i think than just like i don't know going paintballing or something yeah. i don't know yeah well <laughs> you know if you, it sounds like you're know, paintballing actually might be it, cool pretty too. fun yeah <laughs> it'd be pretty expensive if you did it all the time but you know if you look back to your childhood there were all these little challenges and things like that that you know, you wanted to gain your independence and you wanted to earn the independence and you, you just set little goals and little challenges for yourself. And yeah. so if you don't have those anymore, then how are you supposed to cultivate really good self-esteem if you are preventing any sort of opportunity for that sort of growth? And some of these kids I feel bad for that don't have any way to kind of test themselves and prove themselves. And that's boys and girls, yeah. you know? And so in this, in this social norm of sure. protecting people from or you know, calling it toxic masculinity as a blanket statement or a blanket narrative to cover just growth. Just this is a challenge for Absolutely. you. And you shouldn't shy away Absolutely. from the challenge. This is an opportunity to low and grow and, and get real confidence rather than some shallow or hollow affirmation. Oh my gosh, you're mm-hmm. so wonderful. Well, I got to yep. work for stuff too. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/waypoint. There is no growth without discomfort and uh so but and the world is so focused now on making everything just so cushy and you know it's just uh that's not how you grow man yeah <laughs> so like a lot of times honestly on some of these hunts i plan there are tar- there are parts of them that suck a lot yeah. <laughs> but the whole experience is always awesome what was the worst moment where it was kind of hard to like gloss over with oh man this is so great though misery is great cuz sometimes oh, yeah. like it sucks horribly yeah. We we get to the end and we think, man, I'm glad I went through that. But at the time, it was horrible. Is there a moment where you thought this really sucks? Oh yeah, um, the one that sticks out for me right now is just uh, it was this year. Um, it's on an episode that'll be coming out in the first season of the show, so it's not released yet. But it's all edited together, and it was me and my friend Luke Dusenberry, and we were way back in the backcountry. Um, not like way way back. We were probably five and a half six miles back, something like that. But it was like thirty five hundred feet of elevation to climb to get in there. Um, but with ups and downs, kind of. And we both, you know, we had 
pretty heavy packs coming in. Then we had to carry water in, which wasn't that bad. But on the way out, we both had a whole mule deer on top of all of our camp and stuff. So um, I'm not saying like it was insane or anything, but it was we weighed our stuff when I got back. I had just about 130 pounds um, and I only weigh about 175, 180 at the time. Um, and it was like, you know, just 130 pounds on your back sloshing for five and a half, six miles. And, um, it was heavy, man. Yeah. <laughs> it sucked there. I was like, especially the first part was kind of uphill. The last part was a lot of downhill, which is like challenging in its own right. But, um, just the first maybe two or three miles, just getting used to that much weight, um, it was definitely times where I was just kind of one step at a time. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what sticks out for me from this year. <laughs> Do you, um, I get, I get pissed when I'm, when I'm hiking out. And so I don't want to stop cause I don't want to prolong yes. everything. And so I just go, it might not be super fast, but I just want to keep going. If I do get to the point where I'm pretty spent, I try to just give myself 10 seconds. So sit, rest, lean, whatever it is, give me 10 seconds and just try to just, I don't want to talk. I don't want motivation. I don't yeah. want music. I don't want anything. I just want to just handle it. Um, are you uh, just go full speed and then take longer breaks, or how do you how do you I guess chop that up, or how do you approach a heavy pack out? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much the same, man. I like to just get it done. Um, there are times when you just need to stop for ten minutes, you know, grab a drink, maybe a quick bar or something. Um, if it's you know a multiple hour ordeal, but um, yeah, I like to get it done as fast as I can. I don't really like to stop and set up and you know take stuff out of the pack anything like that or i just kind of want to get it done yeah <laughs> I, there's uh, a couple of hunts i've been on with my buddy jesse who he's really good at soaking in moments and really good about appreciating all appreciating all elements of everything he's not immune yeah. to frustration but uh, we're coming back on a mountain goat hunt and we decided just to stay one more night of the mountain the buddy shot the mountain goat and we'd say, you know, we could rush back now and go get a burger, but you know, just stay up here another night, a beautiful night. And so, yeah, uh, stayed another night. And on the way back, we got down the most technical spot out of the mountains. And then we just sat for 10, 15 minutes, just kind of BSing a little bit. And it was pretty, it was pretty cool. And then once we got to the last three miles, it was just, okay, we're head down and yeah. go, but it yeah. is nice to have those times and not be in sure. too much of a rush, but, uh, for sure, yeah. man. Um, when the weather's yeah, good, it makes definitely... a difference. Yeah, there's definitely those times when you just want to kind of enjoy the moment and soak it in, especially like after a challenging hunt and then you fill your tag and you have that just like that feeling that's probably connected to some deep thing in your brain, like some reward system of like, oh, you just secured food for a month, you know, like a uh, reward in your brain type deal. Um, but it's just such a great feeling of accomplishment for me anyway, like after these hunts. So just soaking that in is is cool, too. What about when you don't get some? Oh man, dude, I, uh, I'm going to be, I was super blessed this year. I have had trips where I didn't fill tags. I'm not saying I haven't, but this year, every hunt was successful. Um, but yes, I remember last year, spring bear, um, had some opportunities fall through and didn't end up filling the tag. And that was tough. I learned a lot though. I learned a lot. Um, and came away, you know, definitely kicking myself in the butt for a few things, but Overall, it was a great experience, and I learned a ton, you know? So, yeah, it's I'm l- taking that, I'm taking those experiences, sorry to cut you off, but I'm just, I'm taking that experience into this year, where I'm kind of doing my own thing for Spring Bear, which, you know, I learned a lot from those guys that I went hunting with, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't really know how to find my own spot if they hadn't mm-hmm. kind of let me in and showed me some of that stuff, 
Um, so I'm not going back to their spot, but it helped me to find my own spot that is, I think, hopefully going to be pretty good. Yeah. What what state is that in? Um, it's in Idaho. Okay. So yeah, that's that's a whole different dynamic. Uh, my buddy and I are going out uh, bear hunting this weekend. Last year, the first week cool. of May, we went out and looked at a really nice one, but decided not to shoot. And because we have so nice. many more weeks, you know, it's not a if you only have a week or 10 days and you yeah. have this tag, then just, just to go and sort through and be like, yeah, well, no big deal. There's still all these other things. It's such a different, different yeah. thing. It's hard to understand. It it's, you know, we're just saturated with tags up here, but, uh, you know, we do yeah. have to en- endure a pretty, pretty horrible winter. Yeah. It's, it was a rough winter, but yeah, it's definitely a different dynamic when you're traveling. Um, and of course, you know, adding in the, uh, you know, making a show as well. Like it's, yeah. it's definitely a different dynamic. Um, but I enjoy it. I still love, I love, I love it, man. How has the storytelling impacted the hunt? Are there times where you just think, man, I just wish I could just, just hunt for myself and not have to worry about uh, cameras or angles or, or getting the right shots or, yeah, you really well, enjoy the storytelling. How does that impact? Your I don't home? worry about it. I like that. I I like that stuff. So it doesn't. It's not like oh, I have to film my hunt. It's like I like it. I I uh, in fact, I, my first ever Western hunting trip was in Alaska. It was like a walk in DIY caribou thing, and we didn't kill anything. Um, had a couple opportunities, but anyway. Long story short, we saw we saw some animals, but didn't fill our tags. Um. So I didn't film that one, but after that, and that's, that was the trip that I was like, this is like what I want to do. This is amazing. Didn't know I'd be doing it to this level, but I knew it was something I wanted to go further down, um, and do more of, but after that I started filming my hunts. And so I honestly, like, it's almost weird to not for me at this point, (laughs) like I enjoy it. So, um, there are times like I took my son turkey hunting, uh, a couple weeks ago and i did have that like internal struggle of i could probably get a cool episode of this maybe mm-hmm. should i like you know try to get a camera guy and then i was like no i'm just gonna take my little boy turkey hunting and i'm glad that i did that um and we didn't kill anything but we saw some and we had a great time and um so yeah there's definitely those moments but i also enjoy it so i don't see it as like a chore i mm-hmm. guess yeah that's good i think the keeping that perspective is important too if everything ends up being about angles and whatnot then i think it like if you if yeah. you did try to how can I make an episode out of this one with my yeah. with my son and then it ends up being a look at how what a great father and mentor I am and then everyone can yeah. kind of sense that you're trying and to I be a mentor and it, ugh, gross. I, I like to tell the story of the hunt, but I never go into a hunt with like a shot list or even a storyline mm-hmm. in mind. My thing is I go there and I want to capture documentary style how this thing went down, and I want to shoot it well. I want to, I want to help. I want to bring other guys on board. They're going to help me shoot it well. So I can also hunt. Um, and then a lot of times I'll turn the camera around on them and get them hunting. If they have a tag, I do that frequently. Um, so, um, it's fun, man. Um, I enjoy it. Um, yeah, kind of went off on a tangent there, but yeah. no, it's good. What, uh, what's on the list for this year? Oh man. Um, so it's not – I have a couple really cool things, but um, it's not finalized um, because I drew a tag I was not expecting to draw that I'm very excited about, but it just kind of threw a wrench in my logic because I wasn't expecting to draw it, but in a good way. Um, so I'm actually coming up to Alaska um, at the end of August to do a caribou hunt, which I'm very excited about. 
Um, that was the first species I hunted in Alaska and the first trip I ever did, like I keep mentioning. So it's kind of special to me to go back. Um, this time it's going to be a really cool trip um, up on the north slope where I'm going to get in an airboat and somebody's going to take me up a river, drop me off, and then me and my camera guy are going to hunt and then float out on pack rafts. Nice. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be an adventure, man. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, So we got that, and then I drew a, a Montana general elk tag. That was like a just a general tag, zero point draw in Montana. Um, but then I, the, the tag I'm referring to, this kind of the hard to draw tag, is a is a really good unit New Mexico muzzleloader elk tag, and um, that was my goal this year is to kill my first elk. So very blessed to have the problem of trying to squeeze two elk hunts in, but um, the second one's in October, so I'm gonna try to squeeze another hunt uh, in Montana in September. Um, sorry if I'm being long winded here, but um, and then. Let's see. November, I'm going with uh, my buddy Luke Dusenberry. He's going to help me um, film and do a hunt about Columbia blacktail because I'm kind of a deer guy, kind of a deer junkie. And so Columbia is actually the last North American deer subspecies I need for my deer slam or whatever. So I kind of want to do that. And I feel like I feel like Columbia blacktails are kind of underappreciated maybe or under, I don't know. There's just, you don't see a ton of great content. I just did a podcast with you did too i think with nathan endicott he's got some great stuff but um anyway it's a cool hunt that um i'm looking forward to that i don't think a lot of guys are really doing much of so that should be fun and then i'm going to try to do a um audad hunt in uh probably in west texas in like february um and time that up with the the western hunt expo so i can kind of do that one and then go to the expo cool what were some of the lasting memories or images that stick in your head from the Alaska hunts? Because you've done Kodiak for a blacktail too, right? Yeah, yeah, that was that was an awesome trip. Um, moments that stick out, you said? Yeah, like so. I remember when I went uh, the first time. I was up to the uh, Fairbanks area, and you drive out of town, you just get this your interior Alaska. Um, yeah, and then just seeing that massive expanse where there's it's vast nothingness except for you know, the rolling hills and there's tons of nature, but just nothing otherwise. And yeah, North Slope, same thing. Just there's nothing out here. Massive expanse. You feel you feel so incredibly mm-hmm. small. Yeah, dude, definitely that brought back some memories. I so when you started describing that, the first thing that came to my mind was like a gut feeling because I remember we rented a U-Haul, right? and drove to our hunt area one of those u-haul vans you see because that's like the cheapest rental vehicle basically it's kind of a little hot tip there but i think it's known um but anyway I rented our u-haul and um and i just remember having this feeling when we were getting close to our hunt area um of almost like before a big like football or lacrosse i played sports uh game in high school or even like a wrestling match like that like uh like pre-game jitters kind of feeling like kind of scared excited like oh you know what i mean unknown so that that sticks out um and uh yeah just like you said man just looking out over um i'm trying to avoid clichés but just over a vast landscape and um you know that you could just walk forever until you die and like, you won't hit another town. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like there's animals in there that will live and die their entire lives. And never see a human. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and it's just there and you can just, you can get a tag and you can just go 
and hunt. It's like, it's so such a cool like feeling and like, it's just so um, amazing. So Alaska is, has definitely a special place in my heart. Kodiak was uh, a really awesome hunt too. Um, but that first trip, man, was, uh, I mean, it was literally life-changing. Mm-hmm. That's I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not just saying it, it was. <laughs> no, that's what people say. I've had some uh, friends that have come to visit just to visit. And other times we've gone out fishing and whatnot, and they say the same thing. Like, this is, there's something in me that I did not know existed that maybe I thought had been bred out or the DNA is no longer there, but it is clearly <laughs> there. There's just something wild about it. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, 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 it's irreplaceable and it's, it's pretty special. Yeah. But for me, I'd always been searching for that, you know, mm-hmm. and I had never been in a place where I could physically do what it takes to get really, truly into like wilderness. You know what I mean? Um, but this is the first time that I was able to do it. And I don't know, it just, um, it touched on something really deep inside of me um, that I had felt at, even since I was a child, this, this like call um, of, I don't know, the, the wilderness. It sounds so, I, I probably sound like so cliche right now, but like literally this, I would look at wild places. I remember having this, this feeling as a child and have this like sorrowful, and I don't talk about this much, but I can tell you, I know you're a thoughtful guy. So I would look at these things and I had this like sorrowful feeling like in my chest and I, I couldn't explain it, but I figured out what it was. It was like this longing to be in it and mm-hmm. to be a part of it and to like be in that wild landscape. And like, that's the only thing that ever fixed that kind of weird feeling I got when I looked at wild things, like wild places. So I don't know if that makes any sense or I sound crazy, but um, man, something is just, yeah. That's the best way I can say it. Yeah. I think um, once you get that perspective, you start to see how much nothingness we surround ourselves with stuff that has really no meaning, whereas everything out here is so rugged. And when you get to those spots and you realize that nature doesn't care at all, and that's good. And if you are this small, then your problems are even smaller. And what an unbelievable – this is so good – um, I think it checks a lot of people's egos, people who think that they, they are a conqueror of things. They come up yeah. to certain areas and just think, oh no, I'm nothing. And then other yeah. people, I conquered Alaska. Like, no, you didn't. Like you were able to no. exist here for a limited yeah, amount of survived. time with a whole yeah. bunch of technology and you did that. Uh, but sure. yeah, it's, it's great. And it's fun to see when people come up here, um, and they, they fish or hunt or visit and it the the awe that they feel it makes mm-hmm. it like refresh and it reminds us sometimes we can just get ah oh, you know it's a no big deal maybe i should fish today maybe i won't maybe i'll just kind of be lazy like no man this is a sta- a place of staggering beauty and you should take every opportunity because you live here you get to do this stuff so yeah. when people are in awe and they express that wonderment it makes things new again it's really cool to see people who truly appreciate it versus people who are kind of eh, expected bigger and better and then this and that or you know i'm a I'm yeah, big old so whatever, lame. man, shut up. So, yeah, that's lame. Um, something's wrong with them. <laughs> no, but it's, and to me, it just, and, and showing the, you know, to me, it shows the evidence of a creator and like a good mm-hmm. God. And just, I don't know. It's, uh, it's definitely, it's a deeper experience than anything else I know of, honestly. Yeah. So where do crazy. you, th- where do you think hunting is going to be in 10, 15 years? It's, there's some weird stuff going on with uh, with tags, with closures, with, you know, do you think that there's going to be a consolidation of yeah, 
newspapers are, are dying. Magazines are, you know, the printing thing is anybody can make content. Is there going to be a consolidation of, of films, a consolidation of written material? Like how, how do you see things playing out in the next 10, 15 years as far as hunting and content go? Ah, uh, man. Um, that's a huge question. And I'm so entrenched in just trying to make <laughs> what I'm trying to do work on my own that I don't really have it sounds kind of blunt, but I don't really have time to think about. I mean, that's not necessarily true because I am trying to think about how I can innovate, right, and do stuff differently. And um, But I don't know. I don't think that long term, I guess. And I am kind of buried right now, so I don't have much time to really think 10 years down the line. But I don't know. I hope it, I hope it doesn't – as far as tags go, obviously I hope that, you know, states continue to – manage uh wildlife appropriately and not like with politics in mind and not you know that they operate on sound biology and not like woke politics or something like that's is stupid um so i hope they can do that effectively and keep politics out and i think there's a lot of success stories in conservation um in north america but you know obviously i hope there's there's always opportunity for people who want to hunt like um i did draw that you know that one elk tag, that's a straight lottery. It's not uh, even a point system. So, I mean, um, there's a lot of opportunity. See, I don't know what it was like 20 years ago because mm -hmm. I just kind of got in recently. So, you know, I know a lot of people might think doom and gloom, maybe if you were used to how it was a while back. But for me, I don't know. There definitely is still opportunity out there. I mean, um, I only got into the game of doing this like three years ago, I think. So it's not like I have like, been buying points since I was 10 years old, you know, or something like, and I'm finding, I'm able to find opportunity and find tags and have good experiences. So, um, I hope that stays the same. You know, um, I know that hunter recruitment is also a big issue, so we need to be doing that. Um, my kind of thing is not necessarily hunter recruitment, but taking hunters, um, you know, that might live in the Midwest or the East coast, like myself, and kind of had that dream of going out west, but don't really know how possible it really can be to kind of do it on a limited budget and do it on your own. If you want to pay a guide and all that stuff, that's fine too. I don't have anything against that. But some people, like me, enjoy just kind of doing it. So, but it might seem intimidating, but I'm just like anybody else. Like if I can do it, anybody can do it. So I hope to kind of show some people that. And um, that's kind of part of it. But again, kind of a rabbit trail. But um, I'm not really sure, man. Do you have a, a way you think it's going to go as far as like consolidating media or whatever you're saying? Yeah, I think one of the things that we have to like recruiting hunters is important, but recruiting also the right types of hunters that are going to represent sure. the represent the lifestyle in a way that's going to be meaningful. And it's going to allow people to look at hunting and think this is everything that they say it is rather than this is what they say. And then this is what they do. And I think mm -hmm. the one of the conflicts that is, is, has, has been coming up is hunters versus hunters. And, um, when you are a non-local and you go to somewhere else, people are going to chastise you. When I was down in Wyoming, you know, like I'm the visitor. So I'm thinking, man, okay, well, yeah. when people come up to Alaska, if there's someone who is, you know, used to just, there's a bear first one to it gets it, you know, that sort of attitude makes me think, come on, man, like this is Alaska, that sort of desperate, killing it at, at all costs thing. You don't do that here. 
But then when I'm down in Wyoming and I'm the one with the tag and I've spent the money and I, I don't want to go home empty-handed, I have to think, oh, okay, I'm exactly the yeah. type of person here in Wyoming that I hope doesn't show up in Alaska. And I think that sort of that's true. that perspective and that ref, that reflection makes us, I think, would be we'd be better guests in those other areas, which would probably reduce that not resident versus non-resident uh, conflict yeah. a lot because – I recognize I'm in someone else's backyard, and so, yes, it's public land. I have every right to be here. I have the tag. You have the tag, everything. But that that entitled sort of attitude is is not not at all necessary. Yeah, and I'm guessing that's amplified in Alaska by just the fact that it's further away, more expensive to get to, Mm -hmm. and it probably has this, like, you know, people probably have in their mind it's like some magical place. It's like not a real – you know what I mean? It's like – fantasy land they can just go there and do whatever you know mm-hmm. what i mean like um and not not that they, they would even think that or say that but just mentally like subconsciously it's it's a it's far away right you know it's like so it's probably worse in alaska as far as like probably some of the mindset of some of the people that come there but um i don't know man um i hope that you know we can continue to have good relations between residents and non-residents because my thing is like I'm not necessarily trying to recruit like the person who's never hunted to like go to the store and buy a gun and like just go walking on public land and like try to shoot something. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't think that's the way to go about it either, but I am kind of trying to get responsible kind of good experienced hunters to take more um, advantage of the kind of public land that's available out there because at the end of the day, like non-resident um, sales of tags and licenses and stuff like that are like, you know, funding a lot of these game and fish commissions mm-hmm. budgets. So you know, as long as you go out there and you're being respectful, you're being lawful, you're having a clean camp, you're not being a jerk, you're talking to people, you're being a good human, uh, and you're not being a butthead, you know, for lack of a better word, like, um, there should be no conflict um, between, and I always try to stop and, you know, if you see a local boy rolling through the unit or, you know, um, when I was antelope hunting, I saw a local guy's truck on the side of the road and, you know, I stopped to ask him if he was all right. And just that conversation led to he gave me some rancher's phone number who I didn't end up getting permission, but he at least tried to help mm-hmm. me out. You know, so people people are always willing to help you out if you just don't look at them as like, uh, you know, an adversary or like competition if they're other hunters, but just like other humans. They're probably like minded if they're out there. <laughs> so yeah. just talk to them and uh, just be a good person and be a good representative and and enjoy these public lands that we have. Yeah, I think another thing about the Alaska is. Like my wife and I ate caribou and deer, and that was you know we we'll get chicken once in a while. We rarely eat out, so this is a the vast majority of the meat that we eat is stuff that we procure ourselves. Um, yeah. And so I think when some of the people have like the conflicts up in the in the Kotzebue area, which is why that caribou hunt got shut down. There's a lot of testimony that was saying people come up here. They're just, they're trophy hunters. They don't even take the meat. They don't want the meat. They just want oh, the antlers, dang. and that's a hard thing to defend. Um, it, and that's not every hunter. Like a lot of the hunters are just as excited about the meat as the antlers, but that doesn't, Oh yeah. when the, the rural subsistence board is making their decisions about who can hunt, you know, they're going to side with the locals who, yeah, this is, yeah. this is your meat. This is your livelihood. This is your culture. This is your heritage. Yeah. yeah we're we're going to totally keep those other people that's, out. So that's unfortunate, man. And like, yeah, that's terrible. Um, for me, the meat is just as much if not more than a trophy like i have really no interest personally in like going to like africa to hunt because 
I don't know. Like, not that it's wrong, but I, I personally like the meat is a huge deal. And like the thought of not being able to bring my meat, I love like sitting down at the table and like watching my kids and my wife and my like mother-in-law who lives with us, we're all eating together and like enjoying a meal together. And it's like, I freaking, <laughs> I freaking e-scouted, went in there, like grinded it out, like had a great experience, like took home this animal, packed it out, you know, figured out the logistics of either cutting it up in a hotel room and getting it in a cooler and like checking on an airplane or paying someone to ship it or whatever it have to do. But like sitting down eating that, that's a trophy to me too. It's just like, cause I'm the same way as you, man. Like we eat probably 90 to 95% wild game meat in, mm-hmm. in our house. Um, so I love that. Yeah. It's healthy living. That is healthy sure. and that is good living. That's something that should be uh, passed down and, and, amplified in in the positives uh, most positive of ways um Dude, what else i got you... blessed too because i married a persian lady and her mom lives with us and they're like the most amazing cooks like oh, they man. can take something that 98 percent of white sail hunters in north america throw in the gut pile and make the most delicious meal you've ever had i promise you one of my favorite <laughs> things is is uh neck stew uh oh, just dude, put, you're, put you're, it in the crock okay. pot man it's so so well, you, good I mean, I'll you basically take just ten- nailed it. You basically just nailed what I was talking about. They told me to cut, you know, cut off my spines and bring them home. Mm. Like not like after you get the backstrap out and everything, just the spine. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah. And of course, you got to be careful with um, CWD in some places. You don't want to eat the actual like stem, whatever, like nerve stem tissue. Mm-hmm. But they basically pressure cook and then slow cook, like braise the the spine. Like they cut it in thirds. And then you can just scrape all that meat off of the fork. It's like, because it's all backstrap meat, basically. Mm-hmm. You just couldn't get off the bone. And you just scrape it off. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. We uh, we take the bones back for bone broth. And then uh, up here, the regulations for salvage are a little bit different. Uh, I know in some areas, you just have to quarter um, and then yeah. take the take the prime cuts. But up here, you got to take the neck and you got to take the red meat and everything else. So um, okay. I've done ribs a couple times. And it's it's not bad. But, you know, the blacktail are such small animals that... You yeah. know, if you if you try to cut them out, you're getting this tiny little strip that you just put in the grind pile. If you try to cut them out, is it like a rack? Then, you know, it cooks okay. But yeah, um, yeah the neck is definitely definitely really really good. Even during rut, I've made uh, uh, put that in the crock pot for a while and make tacos out of that. It's real good. Yeah, dude, I love neck, dude. It's it's amazing. <laughs> so what? Um, where can people find you? You got a closer? What uh, What's your pitch for the show and all that stuff? Oh yeah. Um, well yeah, the show's pretty cool. Um, like I said, it's, it's all like DIY public land hunts that I did from this year. Some of them are actually like a mixed format where I like kind of talk to my cameraman as well. Um, like after the breaks and then we kind of talk about the hunt and then other ones I've done a couple episodes with other producers, like from outdoor TV or from like even in the YouTube Western hunting space and have a conversation and, and kind of break down a hunt they've done and use some of their footage um, kind of sprinkled in as B-roll. And we kind of, I'll give you like a, a screen share sometimes where we're like, we're kind of watching the film together and kind of like uh, talking about it. So it's pretty cool, man. I'm looking forward to it. That launches um, the last week of June and that'll run, the whole season will run um, through the end of the year. Um, but then, yeah, I just, I have my podcast that releases once a week too, the Hunter's Quest podcast. And then I'm on social media, the Hunter's Quest. Um, so yeah, that's basically what i'm doing and then my youtube channel of course but nice. is that where the show is going to be on youtube no the show's going on sportsman channel okay and then it will go to youtube after it 
finishes at the end of quarter four. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it was uh, nice to finally uh, chat with you, man. Good luck this you year, too, and uh, we'll definitely be in touch. Yeah, man. Appreciate you. Take care. All right, bye.